Travels with Charlie is paid for by Jolly Convenience Stores, Milne Travel American Express, and Casella Waste. The views and opinions expressed in Travels with Charlie do not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of the Radio Vermont Group. We welcome listener feedback. Email your comments to wdev at radiovermont.com. Well, it's all about all the folks you meet. Sitting in a diner or out in the street. Catch up with the news. Get your point of view. I want to hear what unravels. I'll see you in my travels. And welcome to another episode of Travels with Charlie. I want to thank you all for listening. I want to remind you that you can also listen to the podcast, which is typically up uh, a couple of days after the live program here on WDEV, WDEVradio.com for the podcast. Quick thank and a quick shout out to our sponsors, Jolly Convenience Stores, Casella Way Systems, and Milne American Travel. On our show today, coming up, Lieutenant Governor Molly Gray and Senator Thomas Chittenden will have the Casella Waste Sustainability Spotlight. And we're also going to talk with uh, Grant Allendorf, the owner of Vermont's largest entertainment company, Super Sounds DJ Company. Now, we're not going to have a dance in here. That's not happening. But that is one of the industries that has been very hard hit by the pandemic, of course, the entertainment industry. And we'll talk with Grant and see how things have uh, changed and how we hope they'll change as we head into the summer of 2021. Well, Thanks uh, to my guests for both being here today. Lieutenant Governor Molly Gray threw a little scare. Thomas Chittenden, also Thomas. I've only met Thomas, I think, once before when you were running for city council in South Burlington. This was at the other radio station. And and Thomas knew about the, the graft rules that Ernie and I had instituted years ago. And Molly even has some idea about that. Uh, and he brought donuts for us today. So, Molly, we have... Uh, I don't, you know, Chittenden cider donuts from Tom Chittenden from Chittenden County. And I, come on. I brought two dozen to uh, also represent Lieutenant Governor Gray, who I know is racing from another event. So these are donuts from both of us. Well, I was going to say it doesn't get more Chittenden than that. I know, and I know. So for people, I mean, most people know you. You know that name Chittenden. That is the Chittenden, right? So my, my roots run deep. Um, the first governor of Vermont, Thomas Chittenden, is my seventh grade uncle. His brother Bethuel is my lineage. So I'm just really glad my parents didn't name me Bethuel. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of fallen out of favor these days. But yes, you're right. Chittenden is on a lot of things in the state. I like to think that helped me a little bit in the election. But uh, of course, other matters or other factors were involved in the voters' decisions, I hope. Well, what do you think it was in both of your elections? You know, the reason that we've asked both of you to come here is because this is relatively new for both of you as lieutenant governor, as a senator, both in Montpelier. Of course, you didn't really actually go to Montpelier, although I think you did, correct, Molly? I did, yeah. Um, it's actually funny. It's I'm seeing Senator Chittenden for the second time in two months. The first time was last Friday at the very end of the session when he came down and was in the building. But for the last five months, it's been a remote session. So, and, and it's been tough for Tom because he told me, you know, he, he loved doing the the Zoom because he didn't have to wear any pants. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, a TMI, TMI warning just went up. For the record, I, I wore pants. Okay, all right. <laughs> you know, it is funny though. Every Tuesday, 
I'm up at the dais and I'm like, senators, now please stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. And the first time I said, you know, senators, please remember that you will now stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. Um, And everyone's on Zoom, obviously, and you know where the camera screen goes. But now it's uh, great to be in studio. Thanks so much for having us. And, Senator, so good to see you. You as well. What do you think it was with, you know, relatively new names to Vermont politics, city council? I know that you worked for uh, for uh, Peter Welch, um, but really didn't know a lot about Molly Gray. And yet, that's you know, you beat out some big names, uh, guys that have been around for a while. I think they're still smarting uh, from that. What do you think it was that got you elected? Uh, you first, Molly. Yeah, you know, um, I hadn't had ambitions of running for office, and then, you know, and Senator Chin and I have talked about this a lot. You know, Vermont's an aging state. We are, have a demographic crisis. We all know that. And again and again, through family members, through friends, through um, communities I had talked to across Vermont, there was this ongoing question of why are we not getting it right when it comes to keeping a generation here, bring a generation back, and bring a new generation to Vermont. And I think when you decide to run to run for office, you have to know why you're running, what you want to do, and how you're going to do it. And for me, that was always the focus of the campaign, um, building a really incredible team of Vermonters, next-generation Vermonters, if yeah. I, that's what I can call uh, myself and Senator Chittenden. And um, we did what we thought was the right thing to do, and Vermonters thought that was the right thing, too. So broadband, child care, workforce development, a lot of the issues that have actually been at the forefront of Senator Chinnon's work, um, the legislature's work. I just want to congratulate um, my colleague who's here with me today, but also legislative leadership for some incredible work this session, which I think is going to help us solve pieces of our demographic crisis. Tom, you beat out uh, some pretty big names. I mean, no doubt about it that uh, that was a big win for you. Probably if somebody were handicapping, they'd say, well, maybe he's got a chance, but uh, I don't think so. And then you're right in. So I'd like to highlight one thing that Lieutenant Governor Gray just said, which is also one of the main tenets of why I decided to throw my hat in the ring, is I want to see Vermont grow. I want to see more opportunities for current and future generations to stay here, live here, work here, and thrive here. And I I heard that in, in your campaign, and I think the voters did too. I was very surprised, and I, I, out of the six seats in Chittenden County, I was hoping, as you were just saying, Charlie, to maybe get a sixth, maybe a fifth seat, fifth place seat, but I, I did much better than I expected, and I, I think it's because there is a, a yearning for legislators and leaders in this state to see the benefits of economic and um, more people growth or population growth. I'm really glad to see that the census numbers are predicting that we actually will see an increase in people in the state, but I will say prior to those coming out, it was predicted that we were going to see for the first time in our state's history a declining population, and that was concerning to me. So I just wanted to see more of our elected leaders advocating for Vermont to grow. You don't really know anything other than serving in the state house in this pandemic, so, you know, doing it via Zoom. Uh, what did you did you see any challenges there that uh, that that you think made it harder and it's going to be a lot easier and will there be a session in 2022 in the state house let's be clear there is no playbook for a pandemic session of the vermont state house right and i think there's no substitute for meeting vermonters where they're at and seeing people in person right we like that it's great to be here right i see Absolutely. you charlie <laughs> um but If I may, in some ways, uh, 
there are some pretty unique things that happened. Um, I did a thing called Seat at the Table uh, every other week. We had over 500 Vermonters in the State House virtually over five months. Um, there were advocacy days where there was 200, 300 people attending, you know, speaking to legislators via Zoom. That's pretty unique. Um, you know, Vermonters not having to get in the car if you live in Pownall and drive, what, two hours in a snowstorm in March yeah. to have your voice heard. And I hope um, that coming out of this pandemic, some of that we keep, right? You can participate. You can engage. Um, we can bring Montpelier to Pownall and Pownall to Montpelier yeah. um, using the tools that we have. But that means everybody has to have broadband internet access so yeah. i won't get on my soapbox on that one quite yet but if there's well, there's, time. Pl- there's plenty of time for that <laughs> because that is something that I, I know that uh that hopefully some of the you know the uh the fed funds are going to be able to help out with but one of the points about uh making it easier for, for people to participate certainly i get all of that but i think for legislators and again you know tom you didn't have an opportunity to serve before to see what it was like but what i hear from from current legislators that have been there for years is they don't they're not able to talk in the halls you know you go out and you go hey what did you think about this what did you think about that uh, it's just it makes it a lot more difficult when you're doing it via zoom i completely agree and that's what uh, i was told multiple times by everybody that knows what it's like before the pandemic that you accomplish so much in the cafeteria you accomplish so much in the hallways and in pick and joining conversations that had already started about important topics it was difficult uh, but uh, again people were really start struggling during this pandemic so having it a little more challenging to legislate was something i was happy to do for the common good of suppressing this pandemic I'm excited about this coming spring because I heard in your question, are we going to be back in person? I have every reason to believe from the resolution we passed on the adjournment day this past Friday that we will be back in person. And just to highlight again what Lieutenant Governor Gray just stated, we are looking at ways so that people can still testify while legislators will be in person, but still open up the state house to more people using the technology we've learned over the past session, while at the same time maintaining access to the public as well as anybody that wants to physically be there either in person or virtually, I think is an important thing going forward. So the media is going to be allowed to be there, correct? Because at one point they said, well, we don't know if we're gonna, the media will be allowed in. As far as I know, my office will certainly be open, yes. So we're still in recovery mode. How can we re- ensure that Vermont recovers stronger than before? I know that's certainly a key that we you always want to do better than you did before. We've uh, benefited from stimulus money, money from the feds. Uh, but lots of rules to using it, uh, you know, serving on a on a select board. Uh, you know, this is something that I'm um, have been uh, had to, to look at and work on. And it's OK. You know, the money's there, but you got to do it by a certain time. And it has there's certain guidelines. Thomas, you can certainly attest to that being on a select board. Uh, so what are some of the struggles that we're going to be facing with? We got all this money coming in and, how, you know, how do we how do we spend it? Yeah, I think. The most important thing starting today, um, and I was just in an event before coming here um, around Click It or Ticket, which happy to talk about. Uh, time for all Vermonters to buckle up, that's for sure, as we get back on the roads. But we need to listen to communities. We need to listen to business owners. We need to listen to child care providers. Um, we need to listen to communities that don't have broadband access. Um, our farmers, uh, you name it, we need to get out around the state as we sort of peel the layers off of COVID, right? I think something like 15,000 more people need to be vaccinated. We need to get to 80% so we can open back up. But there's so much that we don't 
really know yet about how this pandemic has changed our lives, um, how it's impacted our lives and communities, and making sure we're taking stock of all of those lessons learned so that as we spend the remaining American Rescue Plan dollars or the American Jobs Plan dollars, if and when that passes, which I hope it does, the American Families Plan, there's a lot of really, really important critical um, infrastructure investments that will happen And I think it's incumbent upon us as leaders to put Vermonters and communities at the forefront of our listening and our planning as we move forward. So as we, as we talk about the ARPA funds, let's um, maybe a, a quick quiz here. I'll go, um, Thomas, you first. He turned the mic right over to you. Oh, no. He's going to give it to you. Okay. Your definition of infrastructure. So I, I would highlight, I'm going to keep doing this just to compliment uh, Lieutenant Governor Gray's leadership on this important issue, but it's more than roads and bridges. Those, those are very important. It's broadband infrastructure. It's access to the technologies, capabilities, and education to be able to use that technology to compete in the 21st century. And with Lieutenant Governor Gray's leadership, Senator Balance's leadership as the pro tem, uh, Senator Cummings, Senator Brock, with what they did with the broadband bill in concert with the House, I'm really excited that that's going to position Vermont for the right the, to serve the needs of our great state to do well going forward. The other thing to your earlier question, since I like that question more than the ARPA one, um, I would say that to build back better, I, I really hope that this coming year we pick up where the last session prior to this one left off regarding Act 250. I think that we need to look at that 50-year-old legislation and find ways to modernize it to foster the right type of growth and attract the investment in the great state of Vermont so we can achieve the sustainability outcomes through improved infrastructure, making it easier for people to put money in uh, making our economies and our quality of life better in the great state. So, Molly, the reason, obviously, that I asked about uh, the definition of in- infrastructure, that's come up, and, and, and it seems to be it, it's it's a pretty wide definition, more than what I ever thought. I always thought, you know, bridges and, bridges and roads, sewers, certainly, broadband, yeah, that fits in there. But, you know, does school, does education fit into infrastructure? Does child care fit into in- infrastructure? I think if you talk to working families in Vermont, uh, child care is infrastructure, right? That's the economic well-being for a lot of families, right, that allows moms and dads to um, take their kids to a place where they receive care and go to work so they can pay the bills. Um, the same can be said for paid family and medical leave. And to be clear... But it I, is a stretch. Uh, well, <laughs> but it's... Um, Let me get the Funk and Wagnall dictionary out now. We'll go to the... Uh, it, it, it seems to be uh, there's, you know, kind of a different def- definition of it now. Whether it's a actual or a comparison, um, I think it's still an important one to make, right? It's We're really talking about the strength of our economy, the well-being, economic well-being. I want to underline that of our families, of our businesses. And I just think it's extremely important just to, to recognize how much women in Vermont have been actually disproportionately impacted. Uh, we've seen a lot of women leave the workforce, um, trying to get back into the workforce, but you can't do that if you don't have child care. Right. Uh, we have an aging state, right? We're the second oldest, maybe the first oldest state in the nation. We have a lot of aging Vermonters who need care. Uh, our caregivers, my goodness, have worked really, really hard during this pandemic. So I guess... I say infrastructure because I think that the strength, again, of our state, of our working families, and our economy is directly linked to those um, economic infrastructure. Lieutenant Governor uh, Molly Gray, along with Senator Tom Chittenden. By the way, you can join us on phone line here if you want to ask them a question, uh, a quiz. uh, 1-877-291-8255. That's toll free or 244-1777. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the future of Vermont. 
with Molly Gray and Tom Chittenden right here on Travels with Charlie, WDEV. The waste and resource management industry is a complex, integrated system that many people and communities take for granted. Trash, recycling, compost, we're all familiar with the terms, but maybe not the truths behind the waste industry. Want to learn more? Beyond the Bin is a podcast by Casella, which shines a light on what really happens to our waste and recycling. If you're interested in environmental sustainability and renewable resources, then check out this podcast. You'll learn about waste and recycling, meet members of the Casella team, and one episode even deals with beekeeping. Check it out online at www.casella.com forward slash beyond the bin. I gotta give a shout out to Corm. He just, he picks the greatest bumper music. Corm, where were you like 20 years ago when I was, oh, I know where you were. You were doing another radio program. We were actually competing. For those of you that want a little bit of ancient history here, maybe some of you don't care about it. Uh, anyway, thanks uh, and welcome to my guest today, Thomas Chittenden, Senator Thomas Chittenden from Chittenden County, who brought us Chittenden Cider Mill Donuts and Lieutenant Governor Molly Gray. Two four four one seven 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 locally if you want to talk with our guest or one eight seven seven two nine one eight two five five. So, do you want Thomas? Did you want to go back to something before we get into the next segment here? Sure. You had a great question trying to connect childcare and education to infrastructure yeah. and how those ARPA funds might be coming down. The other thing I wanted to highlight that I thought of during the break. When I think of infrastructure in Vermont, uh, I think at the local level and in South Burlington and Colchester, the schools are the core of our communities. That's where community events are. That's where we gather. That's where we vote. That's where we raise, rear, and educate our children. And I will say this, uh, serving on the Education Committee in the Senate, I'm really excited about these funds to come in and and evaluate our schools uh, to start the bonding program again so that we can invest in Vermont's future, which I know you want to talk about in this segment. And I think that starts by making sure that we have the facility throughout the state so that our kids are safe and learning in environments that are for this century. So, thank you. Okay, Let, let's talk about the future of Vermont. The two of you are have often been referred to, and I consider it, uh, you know, especially relatively speaking, two of the new young leaders in Vermont, uh, yet uh, in, in shaping Vermont, helping to shape Vermont. Now, let's talk about some of the things that are still ongoing. They've been ongoing for a long time, the pension crisis. We still have that. Hopefully, maybe some of that will get uh, fixed this summer. An affordability issue. That is something that has been dogging us for years. And uh, declining student population, yet rising school taxes. Let's touch on some of those. Molly, go ahead. Yeah, I think the the second issue in particular is really important. I mean, how we talked about this earlier, how do we keep young people here? And if I may just share a brief personal story, I grew up in Orange County, um, worked in Washington a bit, uh, came back to Vermont, and have student loan debt, um, getting close to hopefully having that gone. But at 37, which doesn't feel young anymore, I feel like I'm, you know, it's getting up there. Um, But to be in a place in your 30s or even in your 40s, like a lot of mornings, or even your 50s, where you're maybe still paying student loans um, and chopping up the paycheck every month, be it on child care or prescription drugs or um, food costs, I mean, housing, be it a mortgage or rent, is extremely high in Vermont. And so it is really hard, I think, for a lot of working families to make it work in our state. I think that's what 
again, drove me to run and has been really central to my office and my work. But I think that's what Senator Chinnan and I share. It's like, how can we help a generation that's really trying to work here? And we need people to stay here and work. We have a work force crisis, yeah. right? Be it in law enforcement or teachers or nurses or plumbers or electricians, you name it, right? Restaurants are really struggling right now finding um, people. So there's a lot we have to focus on, and I think it's a multi-pronged approach. So Molly, you mentioned housing, and uh, I'd like you both to comment on that because that really, that really, that's an integral part of the whole problem when you consider it. Uh, you know, I've heard so many times from uh, employers that they they have jobs and they have prospective uh, people that come here and they go, wow, I love Vermont, what a great job. Here's what I'm paying you. Great. When do I start? And then they go out and they look for an apartment. They look for a house. And then they come back and they say, I can't take the job unless you want to pay me fifteen to $20,000 more. So the affordability issue really fits into housing. What drives the cost of housing? Well, no argument. Act 250. You want to touch on that a little bit, Thomas? I'll let you go first. Let, let's fix Act 250 and build some houses. You hit it right on the head. Uh, Act 250 has done great things for Vermont, and I don't, do not support repealing it by any means. I just want to adjust it. I want to correct Act 250 so that it allows for the housing that we need so that we can meet the, the demand in order to, uh, to serve the needs of both current and future Vermonters that want to move here. The, when it costs uh, an extra 20 to 40 to 30, per, uh, whatever percent more, just to pass through a very extensive uh, permitting process, or when the permitting process is so Byzantine that developers don't, don't even want to begin the process because of the risks of it failing, that keeps uh, investment at the door, at the, at the banks of our state. I look at the, the hole in the middle of our great, biggest city in the great state of Vermont, and I'm wondering how we can streamline Act 250 so that you don't have to go through it when you're already going through the local regulations. And it'll save money. And the city of Vermont. And, and then obviously that goes on to bringing down the cost of housing. Let's touch quickly because we're running out of time, and I do want to touch on the, the program where we try to attract workers to Vermont we give them money. I've heard from a lot of people going, hey, how about you give me money just to stay here? Is this a good idea? And, and there's, look, what, $630,000 that uh, funded this year? There is money in the budget to continue the remote worker program, and it's twofold. Um, we do live in a world now where if there's broadband, uh, you could live in Vermont but work for a company out of state. Uh, but we also need people to come here and fill the jobs that we need filled in Vermont. I'll admit, last year I was like, why are we doing this program where, uh, you know, we pay people to move to a state where we need broadband and childcare and housing and families are really struggling. Um, what we do know is that that program has paid dividends, that we have seen a lot of people move to Vermont. So it's bringing it. the right people in. It is bringing people yeah. into the state, um, and I think that's a good thing. But it, let's be clear, that's not the answer. The answer yeah. is making sure we have our graduates from high school and college here in Vermont going into the jobs we need. Let, let's, get, let's go back to housing for just a moment because when you think about housing, we often hear about you know, housing for um, older people, housing for people that aren't making enough money. But what about, you know, Florida has communities that 55 and above, and they're well-to-do, affluent, they attract people there. How about housing that would attract young adults that want to live here 
and want to work here, and there's affordable housing, and they're here, and they're working. We're attract. There's a way to attract workers. What are, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. And I, it's really important, right? There's the housing needs of Chittenden County and Burlington. Senator Chittenden can speak to those very well. There's also the housing needs of Orange County or Bennington County. Every county has different challenges, but we're seeing some really innovative uh efforts in downtown Brattleboro or downtown Bennington, the Putnam Block Project, right, to take buildings and make them into affordable, accessible, right, older Vermonter accessible, disability accessible, which is super important, um, to make them accessible around the state. And I, I think the, the working family of today, um, you know, I, I think I'm certainly looking for a home that's affordable and accessible and available, right? I don't need a big mansion. I just want uh, something that's going to work for me and my family. And I think that's what a lot of working Vermonters expect. Thomas, well. what do you think about that? Instead of a 55-plus community, you have a you know a 25-plus community. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. I'd love to explore it further. Um, so I, I would just echo everything that uh, Lieutenant Governor Gray just stated there. And uh, as for the work from home, I think it was great for the time. I supported it then. But uh, I think this pandemic has opened our eyes to a lot of things, and we should reevaluate it and determine if we really need to, in, to pay people to move here. Now that everybody wants to come to Vermont because we did such a great job with COVID-19. <laughs> We got about 60 seconds left, and I, and I have a ton of questions. I wish we could uh, we could talk more. I want to thank you both for joining me today, Lieutenant Governor Molly Gray, along with the Senator Thomas Chittenden. Now you were just on a boat, and you were telling me you were doing the click click it or ticket thing, and this is interesting because I used to do interviews with the uh, highway safety people, and I think our number was always up in the 70 percent range. People wearing seat belts, and those numbers are much higher now. Well. It just so happens that Vermonters love to come together to save lives. You know, highest vaccination rate in the nation right now, but it also just so happens that 88.8% of Vermonters are really good at wearing seatbelts, but we need the remaining 12 um, or so percent to wear their, their, wear their seatbelts as well. So buckle up, Vermonters, uh, and... Um, stay safe. All right. You'll both have to come back and visit me again, uh, especially when you bring donuts. Thomas Chittenden, Senator from Chittenden County, and Lieutenant Governor Molly Gray, thank you both for being with me today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. When I'm on my travels throughout Vermont, I know where to stop for a fill-up, fresh-made sandwiches, snacks, hot coffee, or an ice-cold Coca-Cola. Jolly convenience stores. With over 40 in our area, there's always one nearby. And they're more than a quick stop. Proudly supporting local charities, community events, and our military. Jolly Convenience Stores, home of the Daily Smile, even behind that mask. Stop by today. You'll be glad you did. Oh, yeah, he's definitely kicking it up a notch here. Corm with uh, our bumper music today. Welcome to Travels with Charlie. Thanks for joining me today. And it's time for the Sustainability Spotlight with Casella Waste. And we go right to the top here today, too. we got Michael Casella in studio. This is an in-studio day. And what a great day, Mike, because, as you know, my previous guest uh, brought us donuts from Chittenden Cider Mill. I know. I'm going to have to bring uh, some packaged food down for you. I, I didn't realize. I could go get some Ben and Jerry's or, or Cabot. What's your favorite, uh, the the sugar or the uh, or the plains? Uh, I'm a sugar guy. You're a sugar guy, but you did tell me that you kind of watching. You got, you got a wedding coming up. I, I do. I'm, get, I'm getting married in October, so. Well, you might want to stick around. You know, the next guest that we have coming on is with the largest uh, DJ entertainment company in Vermont, Grant Allendorf from Super Sounds DJ Company. Maybe he can help you out. Absolutely. I'm going to need all the help I can get. <laughs> all obviously. right. Well, let's talk about uh, what's going on with uh, Casella Waste Systems and the Sustainability Spotlight. 
And one of the things, in fact, I believe officially opening this week on Thursday is the depackaging facility in Burlington. And when somebody hears that, they go, what the heck is a depackaging facility? And what does Casella Waste have to do with that, Michael? Yeah, so it's a, it's a new thing that we just uh, set up. It's kind of been a, a dream of mine for probably about seven years when I uh, started thinking about it. And it, it's basically taking packaged food. So if you have packaged food that you know doesn't meet spec or has some sort of um, – problem with it whatever it may be you know contamination in it not enough short filled um too many products not enough products whatever it may be um that packaging can't actually um be sold to a consumer so it's kind of a a rejected product and a lot of that material used to go to the landfill and what we built is a, a facility that actually can handle that package product and it takes the packaging separates the packages from the organic material and then that organic material we pump it into a a liquid slurry or you can run it dry but mainly it goes to a liquid slurry say uh, pints of ice cream for example and then we pump that liquid into tankers and send it to an anaerobic digester we can send it to a farm digester we're using purpose energy um, to send a lot of the material to which is the magic hat digester and then they actually produce power uh, with that organic byproduct so it's Man, who would have ever thought that, uh, you know, waste would be this scientific, uh, you know, you think, yeah, you just pick it up and you, and you dump it somewhere. But uh, did a lot of this have to do with the composting law that came into effect? A lot of it did, but I, I think the, the biggest thing for us is, is trying to fill that need. There's, you know, large food manufacturers in the state. That's one of the great, great parts about Vermont is, you know, having a lot of food manufacturers in the state and, and giving them, uh, an outlet for their food. The, the organics law definitely helped. But this stream was traditionally going to, you know, landfills or incineration. And, you know, the, the ban, you know, was kind of more for source-separated organics. And this kind of adds a whole new uh, level of service that we can provide for these customers with, you know, any packaging product. I mean, we, we've taken everything that you can imagine. I mean, it's kind of, you know, my Christmas parties might might become uh, even better because, you know, the, the, you got six 600-pound blocks of cheese you got, you know, I, I was looking at it the other day. I think we had 38,000 pounds of ice cream sitting in the warehouse uh, that was going to be processed. Chocolate chip cookie dough. Wow. Brownie mix. I mean, there's there's all sorts of stuff. So, you know, one of the things that comes to mind when you th- think about, you know, depackaging, and you mentioned, you know, organic. Uh, well, you're basically, you're talking about food that's on, you know, in a container or on a container, and two things come to mind, probably the most difficult to separate that would be the the cheese that's left over inside of a pizza box and the peanut butter that you never get all completely out of the jar yeah the the, the peanut butter is a tough one so we we do get uh if you can imagine big 55 gallon drums of uh you know peanut butter that's been squeezed out into whatever product you still have that peanut butter uh, residual so we try to add a lot of liquid to that packaging to kind of free the peanut butter from it and make it into a pumpable liquid but it's definitely stuff that we're working on right now, just trying to improve the operation and, and figure out how to, you know, process stuff more efficiently so that we can capture more organic material. And, and again, Michael Casella with the sustainability spotlight, Casella Waste, that all of that slurry, that is, where is it going again? Is it helping on farms? Are they using it for, for uh, you know, fertilizer? Yeah, so, so right now, hopefully the, the, the goal 
for this program moving forward is we're sending it to a lot of uh, digesters. And basically, they're taking that food slurry product. They want to have uh, higher sugar. So, right, it's basically microorganisms that are breaking down the food and they're producing a gas. They, they pipe that gas in a, a generator, and that generator produces power that then goes back into the grid. So if you kind of think about it, it's a microorganism that, likes just what humans like, right? They want sugars, fats. Yeah. <laughs> they want the good stuff, right? So the higher that that value of, uh, you know, sugar content like that, uh, the more gas that they produce, which is then beneficial for the energy production. So we're working with a bunch of farm digesters, P- Purpose, Vanguard, and, and many others. You know, we're going to be looking at going to some small farms, too, to help them as well, where we can actually bring that slurry and work with our team to, innovate around hey how do you get the highest energy value out of your on-farm digester to produce power to hopefully uh, provide economic value for them as well how is uvm helping you with this so uvm we're working with uh uvm's sustainability department and eric roy and kate porterfield kate's actually a grad student from them she's actually writing her whole thesis around this whole process she's been amazing to work with and eric and the whole uvm team so they're really trying to put science behind everything that we're doing you know you know what food products produce the most gas and how do you optimize that gas for the digester so that they can produce a really high quality quality power and then also looking at other things like contaminants in the streams and other things that we, you know, we want to be out on the forefront of to look for to say, how do we improve this process and how do we use real science to uh, innovate around this new technology? So the facility is in Burlington. Yep. It's been open for a while now. Yep. We've been- there's a grand opening this Thursday? Yeah, there's a grand opening Thursday at 10 o'clock. So we're, we're doing a virtual grand opening once uh, everything gets back to normal. So you're telling me no food? No food at this point. Well, you can have food at home just like you've been used to, right, for the last year. So, so it's a virtual one. Everybody crack, crack open a Ben and Jerry's or have a, have a pizza while you're watching it virtually. Exactly. Uh, we, we are planning on doing a grand opening where we'll actually bring everyone in to see the process. It is pretty uh, – um, we actually had some people over this morning to kind of walk through the whole process, and they were – there's a lot to this, and there's a lot more material than you, you think out there, too, because, I mean, if yeah. you look at – you know, the food scraps or even anyone that's manufacturing food, you know, 1% of a, a million things that you're producing of stuff that doesn't make quality spec, there's a lot of material. Has the pandemic caused any challenge, created any challenges for waste uh, recycling? And uh, It has. We, we've obviously, I, I feel like we've been lucky, one of the lucky ones that actually got to work through the pandemic. I mean, obviously the volumes were down quite a bit. Um, we were able to keep all our employees working and the one nice part about our, our job is, you know, our drivers go to their truck, they get in their truck, they go to do their work, right. and then they go home. So we, we actually put in a lot of protocols in place to kind of isolate people, which was a little strange for us just because, you know, we are tight tight-knit family kind of community where a lot of the guys used to hanging out together. So when we did that separation, it, it was a little challenging, but at, at the same point in time, they all realized that we were trying to keep everyone safe and 
it was it was great for them to be able to come to work and be productive and and be safe at the same time. Michael, how can people find out more information about uh, depackaging as well as other services that uh, Casella Waste offers? Yeah, you can uh, go right onto our website and check out uh, at casella.com. Um, there's many resources on that, or even just give us a call at 800 Casella, and we can always answer questions. And we've got a great team uh, that can send you in the right direction. Um, all things waste and recycling, even if you have questions about, you know, new products, new things that are going on, we've got a lot. People have been in their homes for the last 15 months, and they've been acquiring, and it's time to clean it out. You can, you can get a dumpster. Give them a call. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> we, we can handle it. Um, it's definitely uh, – we're ready for, you know, everything to kick back out and uh, get out into the public. Michael, thank you for joining me today. Michael Casella on the Casella Waste Sustainability Spotlight right here on Travels with Charlie on WDEV. Thank you for joining me today, Michael. Thanks for having me, Charlie. All right, stick around. Grant Allendorf from Super Sounds DJ Company. Next, we'll find out how that whole industry will survive through this pandemic. Coming up next, right here on Travels with Charlie. Whether you're traveling for a vacation, planning a business trip, or have a global company looking for a strong Vermont-based company to align with for business and meeting management, Milne Travel is a trusted local partner, and they've been one since 1975. Milne Travel is one of the top travel companies based in New England. Featuring educational tours, vacation travel, or corporate solutions, let their travel specialists search the lowest airfares exclusive to the travel industry for you guaranteed. We're all getting ready to travel again. Save time and money on your next trip. Go to www.millentravel.com. Welcome back. Travels with Charlie. Charlie Papillo, your host here on WDEV. With our next guest, Corn, we could uh, do a little stump the band with some of the bumper music. As you know, the pandemic has hit many of us very hard. The restaurant, hotel, and entertainment industry suffered greatly in 2020. And it looks like 2021 will bring some relief. Joining me on phone line today, Grant Allendorf, the owner of Super Sounds DJ Company, Vermont's premier entertainment company. And full disclosure, I worked for Grant in the late 80s and early 90s. And we'll be uh, dating ourselves here, Grant, but we were still using vinyl back when I started. <laughs> good afternoon, Grant. How you doing? Good. Good. Hey, uh, good to hear from you, Charlie. And just to preface it, you were one of the best. Uh, we've had about two or 300 people work for us uh, over the course of the last 42 years, and you were one of the best. Well, thank you, Grant, and you really helped me get my start uh, in, in, you know, in radio and as you know, mobile DJ. And I, I certainly, those are great memories. I certainly enjoyed that. You know, in all those years, and you say forty-two years, Super Sounds DJ right. Company. In uh, all those started in seventy-eight. In all those forty-two years, I don't think that you've ever been hit with something that we've seen in the last fifteen months here, and that's the pandemic. And it really has, when you consider. People were able to work remotely or still go to work in other ways, but the entertainment industry basically shut down. No dances, wedding industry shut down. Uh, if you're a musician, you're out of work. You're absolutely right, Charlie. The, it, it decimated the, uh, the wedding industry for the last uh, 13 to 14 months. Uh, we also own a wedding venue, the Mansfield Barn in Jericho, Vermont. Uh, I believe we were down about 90%. 
Um, the, the super sounds, the, the music end of the wedding industry, our part was, was down about 75%. And, uh, you know, I have a couple of brides who have rescheduled three times. I think one of them going on her fourth reschedule. And it's definitely, uh, you know, get, getting a little old, but it, it, it's impacted us. Um, tremendously, the Vermont Association of, of Wedding Professionals has been instrumental in, um, you know, securing aid for the PPP and the ACCD. Um, and, you know, we're all just kind of in a, in a holding pattern, and, and now things are opening them up. We did uh, two or three weddings uh, this past weekend, a couple before that, and then uh, from now until around Halloween, it's, it's great guns with... Um, you know, doing 14, 15, 16 weddings every Saturday. Uh, there's, there's really a shortage of vendors uh, from August to October. So I was wondering what you're doing on September 18th. <laughs> you want to bring me back? Can we get you out of retirement? Well, I don't so know. You know, have, I, uh, I, I've only done that once. I came, and then we recall it was actually Charlie Rice that asked me to fill right. in for him. And right. I said, Charlie, I haven't done this in about five years. He said, it's the, you know, old time rock and roll, twist and shout. So Grant, do those songs still work? They, they do, they do, they still work. But no, I'm only picking on you, Charlie. I just figured I'd throw that in. But on September 18th of this year, we probably turned down 40 weddings. Yeah. August 21st of this year, we probably turned down 30 weddings. Um, and, and many of the other companies, you know, I'm good friends with a lot of the other uh, owners of other competing companies. Same thing. They're like, don't don't send me any more work. Yeah. You know, we just simply can't do it. So well, that's uh, yeah. Well, I mean, know, obviously, we know issue. we know what's happened. Uh, you know, people that didn't get married last year decided to do it this year, and you've got the ones that already right. decided to, to do it this year. So uh, you know, it's double, it's triple in some instances. Uh, yeah. um, Let's talk a little bit about uh, you know how you survived during the last 15 months. You mentioned the PPP loans, and there was some discussion about not considering that a loan or a grant, but considering it income right. and having to pay tax on it. Right. Uh, have you right. benefited from that? We we have. We we've um, received two PPPs. There were two available to us, and they you know were, were definitely a lifeline to us and, and many other. Uh, companies in in this industry, um, we're still under the you know guise of hoping that it's uh, fully forgiven. Uh, our first PPP, we've sent in the forgiveness uh, forms, and and you know we're we're hoping that uh, that turns into a grant and that it, it is not a loan. Um, but it's 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 really um, caused us to you know to continue to stay in business. And I know a lot of my friends in the catering business and the tent business. Um, I, I believe they feel the same way. But you shouldn't have to pay taxes on it. I mean, it was sold as a bill of right. goods that you would not. And then, you know, the legislature said, and we didn't get a chance to, to uh, discuss this with uh, Tom Shittman or Molly Gray, but you shouldn't right. have to pay taxes on it. You were told that you wouldn't pay taxes on it. Correct. And, and as far as I know, I, I was under the impression a couple of weeks ago that the legislature voted not to tax the PPP. I may be wrong on that, well, but I, I know Governor Scott was very uh, strongly against taxing it, um, and he said in the general budget that, uh, you know, they, they were going to do some adjustments. So I'm not sure where it is. I thought that there wouldn't be any tax. Well, well that may be so the what's, case. What's the yeah, I mean, I'm just making the point that why would you even consider that when you tell people right. that you're not going to pay a tax on it? And I think we were right. one of a few states that 
decided to, to tax it. It's like, you know, what are you thinking right. of? We're coming out of a pandemic. We're struggling as it is, and you're asking us to, to pay a tax on that. Uh, right. uh, so 2021, as you mentioned, is certainly filling up and uh, to the point where some of it you can't even cover. What about, uh, you know, school dances? Here's a, an area, again, where Supersounds DJ has always led, and that is in doing school dances and proms, and we've seen those things all being put on hold the last year as well. Right. I mean, that was a, that was about 20% of our business, Charlie, and, and schools. Uh, we tried, uh, one, one school from Burlington called us and said, Oh, let's do a, you know, let's do a, a Zoom dance. And, uh, I kind of powwowed with all my staff and they said, you know, for middle school kids, not a great idea. Yeah. Um, dealing with inappropriate music, inappropriate things. And I kind of called them back and I said, we just, we just aren't going to go there. But we did have, uh, this past Saturday, Charlie, we had four proms. Uh, so those were our kind of our first school dances that we've done in, in over 15 months. Uh, uh-huh. they were kind of scattered around Vermont. One was, um, one was, um, actually was in New Hampshire, but for a Vermont school over at the Hanover Inn in, in Dartmouth. Uh, we were up at uh, North Country Union High School on Saturday. Rice High School had theirs up at the Ponds. And South Burlington High School uh, had their prom over at the school. Most of these were all, you know, under some sort of a, a tent structure, um, you know, still dealing with, with uh, COVID. And most of these, uh, you know, had full mask uh, wearing by the students and staff, but they were actually able to have a palm, which was which was pretty nice due to due to last year everything getting wiped out. What sort of changes do you see going forward with the wedding industry this this summer with weddings, crowded dance floors? You know, I heard a story. And this is a couple of months back, and maybe that's all been resolved at this point, but. They were allowing, and I think it was in New York State, Grant. We're talking with Grant Allendorf, by the way, from Supersound's DJ company. If you have a question about uh, the entertainment industry, uh, or if you want to book them, uh, maybe uh, 1-877-291-8255 or 244-1777. And I think it was in New York State where they said, well, we're going to allow dancing. We're going to allow weddings. Here's the deal. Everybody has their own table. So, you know, a family, everyone stays in their little pods. And when it's time to dance, you dance in, you know, close to your respective table. And as a former disc jockey who, you, you know, took pride in filling a dance floor, all I could think of was how tough would this be for a DJ? You're not filling a dance floor and you've got people dancing over here and over there and over here and over there. I mean, can you imagine that, Grant? Yeah, we, I mean, the only thing I can equate that to is, is last fall. Uh, we had about, I want to say about 180 weddings scheduled and we did about 40 of them. And, um, the, most of them, people did dance. They were supposed to socially distance six feet apart and that happened sometimes and sometimes it didn't. Uh, a few venues would not allow dancing. So, you know, from our perspective, it's like, you know, what do you need a DJ for? I mean, yeah. really, I mean, yeah, we played, played some background music, made a few announcements, but dancing is the whole emphasis of the whole event. Right. So, um, you know, those, those were, those were challenging, but people had paid us. They wanted to get the value of their money and, uh, we did whatever the venue would allow us. Um, but yeah, really, really good, uh, good point. One thing that, that I did want to, uh, let, let the uh, listeners know, Charlie, is that, you know, as soon as the governor, um, you know, made the opening up of, of the opening up plan 
back a couple of months ago, uh, the floodgates basically opened. I mean, for 2022, people started booking, um, started making the decisions. Um, we, you know, we were swamped. Same thing with um, 2021. Prior to that, we did lose some business um, up in the Burke Mountain area. I think we had four weddings booked at Burke Mountain. And due to the, you know, uh, clear plan that, that hadn't been set forth back in, you know, March of April of this year, um, they moved their weddings over to New Hampshire, over to the White Mountains. Mm-hmm. So we lost, you know, we didn't lose the business. We went and traveled there, but those Vermont hotels, you know, lost some business due to that. But, I mean, over, overall, I think, the, you know, the governor did a great job with uh, keeping our state safe. And, and you know, um, the, but, but the restrictions around us were much more liberal as, as states opened up. You know, New York opened up in March to, uh, I believe, 150 people uh, for weddings. And we couldn't, you know, we couldn't have a wedding with eight people here uh, back in March. And then all the surrounding states opened up. And, and then Vermont, of course, followed suit just, you know, a month or two back. So can bride and grooms uh, look forward to having a dollar dance coming coming up this summer? <laughs> they they can you know how how we interpret it, Charlie. I mean the dollar dance is yeah. you know done maybe at a small percentage of weddings now, but um, you know we kind of are interpret everything that around uh, July fourth things are pretty much back to normal. You know no mask wearing, no restrictions on on the dancing, um, and and again that's that's what's been difficult too is. Everybody interprets it a little bit differently as to what, you know, what this means. Um, you know, in our barn right now, currently, we can have our capacity is 200 people. We can have 60 people right now that are unvaccinated, and we can have up to 200 people who are vaccinated. And then, you know, how do you determine what this is? So we have the, the brides and grooms give us a list of who's vaccinated and who isn't. Um, but of course, you know, the kids, the, the under 12 segment, uh, you know, nobody's vaccinated. So it's really each, each venue is kind of doing something a little bit different. Um, so it's not, you know, it's just not a clear cut, uh, rule as to, you know, any venue you walk into in Vermont will be doing the same thing. It's, there's definitely some uh, questions, and, and, you know, I still have a few questions as well. Right. Uh, Grant Allendorf from Supersounds DJ Company. Grant, just got about uh, a few seconds left here. I want to uh, sure. thank you for joining me today. And, and again, uh, you know, good luck uh, going forward. Quickly, uh, you have a, a wedding venue now. It's the Mansfield Barn, and I know that's new for you. Want to talk about it quickly? Sure. We, we've done this. This is our sixth year that we did it. Uh, it's located right down the road from our house. You've probably been by it. It's right across from uh, Clark's Truck Center. And, uh, you know, we've, we've DJed at, um, you know, everybody else's barn for the last 15 years. Uh, the barn business kind of got going in 2006, 2007. I think Lori Boyden was one of the first ones to kind of get that going. And, uh we kept driving by this barn and said, you know, somebody should do something with this. And, and we decided, uh, I guess it was us. So it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun. We've averaged about 30 to 35 weddings a year. Awesome. Uh, we're closed down from November to April. And, uh, we've met a lot of great, 
great people. A lot of, lot of well, wonderful Grant, good luck in the area. Good luck with the upcoming season. want to thank you uh, for joining me this afternoon. Grant Allendorf from Supersound's DJ Company. Grant, have a great day. Thanks for joining me. You, you too. Thanks, Charlie. Thanks to my guests, uh, Tom Chittenden, Molly Gray, Michael Casella, and Grant Allendorf. want to remind you, uh, Travels with Charlie is available on podcast on WDEVradio.com. We'll be back on Monday, June 7th. Travels with Charlie, sponsored by Casella Way Systems, Jolly Convenience Stores, and Milne American Travel with support from True North Radio. Theme song and written and performed by Billy Bratcher, and my executive producer is Brad Furlan. I'm Charlie Papillo, and I'll see you in my travels. Mm-hmm.